guys, let's go ahead and dive in here. Again, if you're a guest with us, welcome. Those of you who are joining us online today, welcome. It's that season. Allergies are kind of kicked in. We got a lot of people who kind of catch bugs that actually went through my household this week. And so good to see you guys. If you got any illness, you keep it over there, okay? All right. And uh, I'm excited about where we are. We are in a series where we're talking about relationships, where we're talking about happily ever after. And specifically, this applies to a marriage context, but it involves so much more than that. The things that we've been unpacking and looking at, they apply to our peer-to-peer relationships. I've even had some who gave me feedback. These things apply to mother-daughter or father-son type relationships. And so I've just enjoyed this series as we've been diving into content together, and I hope that you have well and uh, as well. So whether you are single or whether you're engaged or you've been married 150 years already, I believe, I hope that there is something for you inside of this as we look at scripture together. And let me say that if you missed part one or part two, today's part three, it may feel a little bit like you walked in on, on a middle of a conversation, and, and I understand that. But I'm going to be able to kind of catch you up a little bit, let you jump in. So if you're guests, you're going to get the context of it. But the reality is we have been building on a foundation that we started a couple weeks ago in part one and part two. And so I would encourage you, if you missed either of those weeks, go on our Facebook page, go on our YouTube channel, and you'll find the sermons listed there. And I hope that it's valuable content and you'll check that out as well. So let's spend, spend just a few minutes inside of review, just kind of catching us all up. It's been a little bit, and I want to talk about where we've been in the series. And so the reality is, is that we all enter into a relationship. We all enter into a marriage. And if you were married, you stood at an altar. And when you came to that altar and you were all goo-goo-eyed, looking in the eyes of the person that you've longed to marry, what you did is you came to that place with hopes, dreams, and desires. You had some vision in your heart for what that marriage was going to look like in the future tense of that marriage. You brought those things into the relationship, your hopes, dreams, and desires. And inside of that, as we've talked a little bit about this over the last few weeks, is you had some hopes, dreams, and desires about your piggy bank, about what your bank account was going to look like, how much money, how we were going to spend it, what our budget was going to look like. Two-income family, single-income family, you went into it with some hopes, dreams, and desires. What kind of house you were going to live in, how you were going to spend your vacations, uh, how many kids you were going to have, right? I mean, uh, no babies, one baby, when to have babies, 18 babies. That was what we were shooting for in my family. We got four out of the mix. So uh, what it was going to look like inside of your family, right? What, uh, what she was going to wear to bed or not wear to bed. We had some hopes, dreams, and desires, and we've kind of leaned into these over the last few weeks, that all of us have a box. All of us came into the relationship carrying this box. The reality is, 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 is these things are, are pretty tangible, but there's so many things that are intangible that show up inside of this box, right? All of us come into it with some intangible things. We all have these longings. We all have these hopes, dreams, and desires. Maybe it's to be respected. As men, this is a big one, right? I want to be respected inside of my relationship. Maybe it's to be desired or to be admired. This is another one for fellas. Like, you know, this is, the reason this one shows up is because we constantly wonder, right? Am I, do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? I, I, I long for my wife to admire me, to encourage, hey, I, I need that affirmation. Admiration comes in. We might want to be cherished or protected. Maybe it's defended or trusted. 
This is a big one. We all come in. I don't want somebody having to come and check up on me to follow behind me. I hope and dream and desire for there to be trust. And I don't want to have to check up on you either. We want trust in the relationship or to be prioritized. I don't want to compete with your job. She doesn't want to compete with your hobbies. She doesn't want to compete with those things. So we want to be prioritized. We want to be pursued. We want to be attracted to. And so in our relationships, we come into it with a box. And from our vantage point, right, when we look at this box and, and we see the box here, everything looks great. I mean, why wouldn't you want to build your life around these hopes, dreams, and desires? Why would you not build your life around this? It makes perfect sense to me. But the problem with this, the challenge of this, is this box is all about me. And as we've said, these are about my hopes. These are about my dreams. These are about my desires. And so while it makes perfect sense from my vantage point where I'm looking at, from where you're sitting and where she's sitting or he's sitting, it feels like expectations. And so what we do is we come into the relationship and we view them as hopes, dreams, and desires, and we come into it. And what we do is we take our box and we pass it off. We hand it off to them and it feels a bit different. It feels heavy. It feels like a burden. It feels like a responsibility. It feels like expectations. And so that's what we do going into the relationship. And the problem, again, is that it can so easily become these expectations that you owe this to me. You owe me. I expect you to fulfill my hopes, dreams, and Desires, And so in part one, we talked about these expectations a lot. We talked about the reality that while it's so easy to come into the relationship and make them expectations, the reality is we have to decide. It's a decision. We have to realize they don't owe me anything. She doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me anything. And we leaned into this idea. And then in part two of the series, we talked about our relationship should actually be a competition. It should be a submission competition. It should be a race to the back of the line to make yourself low. It should be a submission competition. And submission is that idea that I'm going to lift up your hopes, your dreams, and your desires above my own. And that's a real challenge inside of our relationship. In fact, Sometimes in the relationship, that submission, that mutual submission, it feels a little bit one-sided, right? It feels like, man, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the tug of war, right? It's, it's like, you know, what if theirs is all selfish in nature? And, 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 and so what we have to do is in that relationship, our hopes, dreams, and desires, we have to keep a constant tension on it. And we have to make sure it's not going too far in their direction. And I keep it just enough. There's enough compromise that happens in this relationship where it's kind of floating somewhere in the middle and it's this position of compromise. But one of the things and the challenge of this and the hardest thing about this is that submission, it requires you to go first. That it requires you to drop the rope. And we said this last week, that there's really no hope. See, I can win. Maybe I'm the, the, the stronger negotiator. I can pull this in my direction. Maybe I could do that. Or, or maybe they could win. But the relationship, every single time, the relationship loses. And if the relationship is going to win, there is no hope. 
until we drop the rope, until we let go of our end. And that is a scary thing to do inside of our relationships. We talked a lot last week about this scripture, this idea of submission, and where Paul comes in and he writes this letter and he's talking to women first and he, and he goes after something that's a tough idea in our culture. And he says, wives, you need to submit to your husbands. And that feels like, oh, there's not equal value. But Paul comes in and he sets up this framework. He says, oh, no, 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 don't miss this. This is mutual submission. You're to submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? And that word reverence, that idea, the, the awe, where I am inspired by, I'm full of all of who God is out of my reverence for God, not because he deserves it, not because she deserves it, because if we're waiting for that, right, it's constant, we're going to stay with the rope, and if we're waiting for that, we don't drop the rope, we don't submit because they deserve that. We submit as an act of worship. So you came in today, we sang some songs, maybe you were reading your Bible this week, maybe you prayed, those are acts of worship. The way that you treat another, the way that you submit to one another, is just as equally an act of worship. So out of reverence for one another that we submit. And so this brings us to the place in, in the relationship. Maybe you, you're like, okay, Pastor Daniel, I, I get it, all right? So I'm, I'm with you. They don't owe me anything. These are my expectations, but the rea- they don't owe me And I even understand the submission thing, and I'm willing to take a stab at it. I'll take a shot at it. And so maybe you're that far. And so the question that's been coming has been, but what about mine? What about my hopes, dreams, and desires? What do I do with them? Something, I mean, am, am I just to pretend? What do I do in this situation? And so there are some options. And I'll just go ahead and tell you that some of them aren't great options, but it's what we do when we find ourselves in a relationship where our hopes, dreams, and desires, where our expectations are going unmet. So many of us default to a few of them. And I just want to say thanks to my community group. We have a great group that meets on Wednesday nights, and we've kind of been talking about this stuff uh, kind of as a prequel to what we were talking about on Sundays, and they helped me with these options. So if you're in the room, thank you. Uh, And so some of the options that we have, the first one is this, and it's not a great one, is that we simply ignore. What we do is we pretend like they don't exist. We ignore them. We bury them, right? We take them out back. We pull out the shotgun, and we shoot them, and we bury them down deep on the inside. And we ignore them, and we pretend like they don't exist. And some of the challenges of that is it leads us to this place of of being unhealthy. And see, if for long enough, if I ignore what's in my box, ultimately something begins to grow inside, and it's a monster of nature. It's bitterness, and it looks ugly. And what happens is that when bitterness begins to sit and fester and grow, when it's always about the other person, when mutual submission doesn't take place, when it's always about their hopes, dreams, and desires, then somewhere on the inside begins to be be this place of resentment. And I begin resenting the things that are their hopes and their dreams and their desires. And maybe we don't use language like this but you've felt this before. If you've been in a relationship and you've experienced unmet expectations, the reality is something begins to fester on the inside. And so what do we do with it? Ignoring it is an option, but it's not a great option. There's another option that many of us default to as we choose to stay busy. 
I mean, we take our calendar and we fill it with everything we can but the things that compound or build upon the relationship. I mean, I'm going to fill it with everything about my kids and their sporting events. I'm going to fill it with work. I'm going to invest into my career. I'm just going to focus on that. We fill it with scrolling, social media. We fill it with everything. And, And part of the reason, sometimes the reason that we're doing this is because there's issues with how our hopes, dreams, and desires are going. And this is our way of just kind of either ignoring or now trying to stay busy enough that we don't have to think about those things. That at this point in life, I thought I was going to be in a different spot. I thought my relationship with them would be different. When I stood at the altar, that's not what I dreamed of. And now I'm just going to stay busy because otherwise it just sits on the inside and it feels all yucky. Staying busy actually leads us into a third option, and this is the most dangerous of them, but in our culture, this is the one that so many of us opt for. And so let me hang out here for a moment. The third option is that we find someone else. The third option is I come to this place where I'm so frustrated, I'm so disappointed, I'm so let down that now I've got to go outside of this relationship, that we find someone else. And so let me, let me say this to you. Let me just, if you're dating someone or you're engaged to someone, let me just talk to you for a minute, okay? If you, at any point in your relationship, no matter how cute he is or how beautiful she is, how much butterflies stir in your stomach with him, if at any point you realize that their hopes, dreams, and desires are not in alignment with your hopes, dreams, and desires, you owe it to them and you owe it to you to say, you know what, this is for the best interest of both of us that we go our separate ways. There and only there you have this place of like, yeah, I'm going to go find someone else one day. This relationship, not the right thing. But when you're married, when you're married, this is not the best option for you. And now the Bible does speak to this a lot. And, and, and if that is not, and if you're a believer and this is not an, a, enough authority in your life, the Bible speaks to this a lot. But even aside from the Bible, We can look at this, and we can look at statistics, and we can look at what happens in relationships when people simply go from the relationship where they're in and say, you know what, my box is going unfulfilled, so what I'm going to do is now I'm going to go find somebody else to fill it. Certain things happen in that. And here's the problem. Here's the tension. Here's why it goes that way. Is wherever you go, there you are. Meaning that wherever you go, and you go into another relationship, what you do is you actually bring everything, the problems that you brought, yes, you brought some of the problems, you contributed to it, you take those things with you. And now instead of carrying a box that has a few things in it, now you're bringing a trunk load of things and you're carrying it with it. Now it has wounds and it has hurts and it has bitterness and now that which was hopes dreams and desires that you handed off now it's a much much heavier burden and because of your past relationships and experiences now you're taking it into there and you're expecting them to fix all of not just these things not just fulfill those but to fix the junk from your past relationships and so it's a broken model and here's an observation So just looking at these and looking at when people choose option three here, here's an observation. People don't rush into new relationships because they're eager to give themselves to someone. They don't bounce from this relationship into another one because, oh, let me find somebody else to fulfill their hopes, dreams, and desires. 
Let me submit to someone new so that I can put their hopes, dreams, and desires above my own. That's not what happens. Why? Why do they go to the other one? Because they want somebody else to fulfill these things. They're not looking to give. They're looking to receive. And that becomes problematic every single time. Because guess what? The person that you went and sought after, the one that was on their best behavior, and you were on your best behavior at the beginning of that relationship, and it looked like, man, inside my marriage, inside this relationship, there's a lot of tensions, there's a lot of frustrations. It would be so much easier because this person understands me. Oh, they can identify with me. Our hopes, dreams, and desires are so much closer to one another. I just feel so distant from him or from her. And now this new relationship seems, listen, they're doing the same thing that you're doing. They're playing you. They want the same thing that you want. They want you to fulfill their hopes, dreams, and desires, and that's their expectation. And so all we're doing is bouncing from the relationship that is in covenant with God, and we're saying maybe it would be easier. And so many people in our culture choose option three. It's not the best option. It's not a great option. And so, so many times we want to find someone else. So what are we supposed to do? What do we do? And that's the question that we've been asking. We've, we've been kind of boiling it up until this point in the series. It's been about everybody else and what do I do? I'm going to help them. I'm going to submit them, make their hopes, dreams, and desires. But what about my box? What about my box, and that's the tension that sits here. What do we do with it? And there's another option, and I'm, I'm grateful for this option. So in, in the New Testament, we have Peter, right? So Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter is the guy who shows up in, in so many of the ways where the miracles take place. Peter is the guy, if you remember, he actually got out of the boat and he walked on the water. But Peter, man, he had a mouth on him, didn't he? He would put his foot in his mouth. He had to be corrected by Jesus. Peter was the guy who, when Jesus was going to the cross, he denied Jesus. He disappointed Jesus. Peter is the guy who God, Jesus, restored on the beach, and he put him over the church, over the whole enterprise, and said, you lead the church. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Peter is that guy, right? And so Peter realizes he come to learn some things through letdowns, through disappointments, some of his own making, but some of the relationships around him. Peter is the guy that historians will tell you that he was actually a martyr, that he was killed for his faith, that it was likely that under the Roman emperor Nero that he was killed because of his belief in Jesus. So Peter, he has the qualifications. He's qualified to talk to us about this. And so in 1 Peter 5, he begins laying out some arguments, laying out some ideas, and just the context of this. So he's taking something that applies to all of our relationships, and we're going to apply it into our marriage relationship because it's very, very applicable. In, in this moment, in this passage, he's actually talking to elders He's talking to those who are leaders in the church who have a few more gray hairs. And then he's also talking about the youth. And he's talking about this relationship dynamic. And so when we jump into this, it also applies to our relationships with one another. And so as we answer this question, what do I do with my box? Peter's going to give us some framework. We've got to work on framework. And then we'll get to the direct answer. Peter is going to answer this directly today. And so we're going to talk through the framework. And I want you to stay with me because it connects to one another. We've been building from one, two, and now part three of this series. Let's look at it together. This is in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. And he starts out with this idea. And he says, 
all of you, say with me, all of you. He's talking to the elders, he's talking to the youth, he's talking to men, he's talking to women, he's talking to white people, he's talking to black people, brown people, purple people, or if you're still wearing green from yesterday, he's talking to you, right? And he says, all of you, what I want you to do is I want you to clothe yourselves with humility, meaning that I want you to wrap yourself in the characteristic. I want you to be defined by humility towards one another. Paul talked a lot about this idea of one another. We leaned into that last week about submission. Here he's talking about how we treat one another. Humility holds hands with submission. Right, Nick? Nick helped me out with some of this right here. And so here, this is going to be a weird question, right? This is weird. So he's telling us, I want you to clothe yourselves in humility. And, and, and essentially, when you come to this place and you're experiencing tensions, because every relationship has tensions, when you're experiencing conflict, when you feel that thing on the inside of you, it just starts to boil, and it's, starting, it's going to ooze out any moment, right? There's going to be a volcano erupting. It's about to spew out. When you feel that, I want you to ask a very weird question. Peter would lean into this. He would say, what would a humble person do? In fact, can, because this is weird, because this is a question that you probably never ask, and can we just say it together? Let's, let's say it together on three, okay? One, two, three. What would a humble person do? Let's try this one more time, okay? Ready on three? One, two, three. What would a humble person do? And so anytime we're feeling this, we need to take a time out. We need to hit the pause button. And inside of us, maybe even out loud, we need to ask a question like this that seems a little bit weird. What would a humble person do in this moment? If I were to actually choose to put someone else first, if I were to not make this argument about me, if I were to go small, what would a humble person do? And so let's keep reading here. He's about to tell us why. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because, why, Peter? Because, he says, God, God opposes the proud. This is like Peter is saying that, listen, when you don't clothe yourselves in humidity, uh, humidity, humidity, this is South Georgia, right? Humility, when you don't clothe yourself in humility, you actually are positioning yourself to be in opposition to God. In fact, the Bible talks so much about pride. I mean, if you just read through Proverbs, I mean, you could spend all day just going through Proverbs and, and find the places where God is, talks about how he feels. We, we, we discover a characteristic of God, a core value of God when he talks about humility, and he has so much to say about pride and about ego. I just, let, me, let me just give you a handful of them very quickly, okay? I want you to see this. Proverbs 16.5, I want you to see the strong language that's used here. Everyone who is arrogant, who is full of their own ego, who is full of pride in their heart is an abomination. I mean, strongest words that we have. He detests it. He opposes it. It's an abomination to the Lord. And oh, it's not going to go unnoticed, is it? Another one, Proverbs 16.18. Maybe you memorize this one, okay? So pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit, a prideful spirit comes before a fall. Proverbs 13.10 says, where there is strife, there is pride. Where there is conflict, where there is tension, you want to know why it exists? Because pride is in there. 
And, and, and in marriage counseling, let me tell you what often shows up when, there, when there's conflict that comes up. Pastor Daniel, here's where we're at. We're at odds. We're wrestling in here. You want me to tell you what it, points, what it boils down to? More often than not, not every time, but more often than not, is this place of strife exists in the relationship because somewhere in here is this idea that it is about me and it is about me getting my way and now I'm frustrated in this moment because I'm not getting what I want. And so in the thick of conflict, we'll take a pause. Am I upset right now because I'm not getting what I want? And if that's true, then is it about me? And is this strife, is this conflict because of some pride inside of me? And so keep reading. Philippians 2.3, we talked about this one last week. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, out of pride and ego, but in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so when Peter talks again in 1 Peter 5 here, and he says to us that God opposes the proud, there's so much to say. But the reality is God feels about pride probably like you and I do about pride. I mean, think about the people that you know that are so full of themselves. They're so egotistical. There's so much pride inside of them that it's all about them, all about them getting their way. What do you do? You don't want to hang out with them. You don't want to be around them. And so you distance yourself. You are actually in opposition to that kind of personality as well. And so God feels the same way in this moment. And so he's talking a lot about how God opposes the proud. And here's where he's about to go into this idea. And there's a couple promises that are going to come. When we clothe ourselves in humility... A promise directly follows. Let me show this to you. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, or another translation, another word, is favor to the humble. And this is a promise from God that when we would choose to submit, when we would choose humility, what would a humble person do? When we make this choice in our lives, we're actually positioning ourselves, we're inviting God to bring his grace and his favor into our circumstance. And in that moment, in the thick of it, if you're anything like me, man, when it, it starts rolling and it gets heated, I, I am not looking to submit, right? As, when we put the gloves on, this is conflict, and, and, and I know how to use words, and sometimes those words are daggers in the heart, and when they just fly out of the mouth, sometimes that's what's happening. But if we want the favor of God for our situation, for the conflict in our relationship, for my unmet expectations, then grace could be, would be sufficient for you if we would choose humility over pride and getting my own way in that moment. That it says that the grace of God, the favor of God would come to those who are extending humility in that moment. And it becomes the defining characteristic of what happens inside of our conflict. It becomes the thing that should define how we engage one another at times of unmet expectation. And if we would do this, then the grace would be there, the ability, the favor, allowing us to move through this circumstance, to have the hand of God actually in that moment. And so there's a promise to us that if we would humble ourselves, and so he continues when he says in verse 6 and verse 7 here, he takes this idea further. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. 
And sometimes we look at this and we see like a mighty hand and we think it's like that backhand. We think it's the smiting hand. But when we're humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, again, what we're doing is we're, we're assuming a position. So God's mighty hand, and we position ourselves underneath his authority. We position ourselves underneath his protection in our lives. And so by bringing ourselves to that position under his mighty hand, then we're in the safest place that we could ever be. And often we feel like we've got to take care of the conflict. We feel like we've got to fight the battle. But when we get up underneath and we allow and we're humble and we allow the favor and the grace of God to come into that moment, he does something that you and I cannot do. And it's not just that promise. It's not just under the mighty hand of God. It's also in the mighty hand of God. There's a second promise that comes up. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may do what? That he may lift you up. It's a promise. If I'm under the hand of God, his promise. If I'm humble in this moment, then he's going to lift me up. He's going to take care of it. I'm in his hands, and he is carrying it. He's responsible for it. Here's the challenge of the promise that we don't like, though. What's the next part? In due time. Man, like I want it to happen right now. I want, okay, God, I'm feeling the tension. We're right in the middle of it. I'm feeling it. It's welling up into me. I'm going to choose humility. I'm going to go up underneath, God. I'm going to choose humility. Okay, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And I want it to happen right then. And it's not the case at all. It's sometimes I have to choose to drop the rope first, and maybe it just keeps, the darts just keep flying at us. And in that moment, I'm going to choose humility. I'm going to choose to put them above me in that moment, understanding that the Lord is my defender. And this is hard. This is hard to do because we feel like we need to protect ourselves in that moment. In due time, I want immediate results. And, and so for me, it's like, you know, I, I want to hit the gym and I, I want muscles like Nick over here. I want to be like, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I got them. They're just hidden underneath all of this. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled, okay? We want immediate results in that moment, but the Lord says it's in due time time, in due time. So I'm going to trust the promises of God that in due time that he's going to lift me up. And so this next part, where Peter's going to go, Peter's about to give us the answer to the question that we've been asking. What do we do with our hopes, dreams, and desires? What do we do with the box? What do I do with this stuff? And Peter's going to answer, but he's going to answer it in an unconventional way. He's going to answer it in a way that we probably don't expect. We're not thinking of how that's going to work. And so in due time, he's going to do something significant. And this may surprise you. When things aren't going your way, when the tension is just like, man, when my dreams seem like they're on the back burner and, and you're all about your dreams and now it's disappointed me, when it feels selfish in nature and there's no mutual submission in here and now I'm left with my box and it feels like I've just been neglected, that I'm the afterthought in this. What do I do in that moment? What am I supposed to do? And Peter comes in and he says, listen, here, here, this is unconventional. You might not be ready for this. Peter says to us, sometimes there are times when you have to throw things. Sometimes there are times 
and Peter's going to give you permission. He says, sometimes you need to open up the cabinets and you need to get the dishes and the glasses and you need to hurl them across and you just need to break stuff and smash stuff. You need to throw stuff. Get your cell phone. I don't have my cell phone. Throw your cell phone. Sometimes you need to throw some fish. You need to throw some bows. Peter gives us permission. Sometimes there are times when you just have to throw stuff. And some of you are like, okay, Pastor Daniel gave us permission today. I know what's happening when I get home. We're about to throw down. Of course, that's not the way that Peter is meaning it. He does say to us, sometimes you have to throw stuff, but not in the way that you think. This is what he says. He says, cast all of your anxiety. When he says cast, Peter was a fisherman, right? He he would cast out the net. He would throw out the net. Sometimes there are times when you have to throw things. Sometimes when the frustration is so great on the inside of you and the disappointment is so great on the inside of you, you have to throw things. You have to cast things, but not in the way that you think that you would do them, not in the person that you think you should direct it at. He says, sometimes there are times when you need to cast all your anxiety on who? On the husband, on the wife. He says, you have to cast it on him, to cast it on God. And the reality is, and and this is a challenge for some of us, we have to take it to him before we take it to them. We have to take it to him before we take it to them. And don't, don't mistake me today. There are appropriate places in which we need to talk about the shortcomings between what's inside of our heart because the reality is God probably put them there. You need to talk about them. But sometimes there are times when you need to throw things first and you need to cast your cares, cast your anxieties on the Lord. You need to take it to him before you take it to them. And so how do we do this? How do, how do we do something like this? Well, I'll tell you, you, you figured out how to cast it and throw it at the other person. And the reality is you, you figure that out. It comes out sometimes in ways that you're not proud of, right? You figured out how to do that. You've directed it in ways that just comes out of you. You, you. you know how to throw things, but the reality is you've probably directed it to the wrong person. And so in order to take it, to cast it on God, what do we do? It's prayer, but it's not just any kind of prayer. This, this isn't that like that polite prayer, let me make sure I, you know, I'm all in a, a reverent place of this. This isn't just any kind of prayer. It's not polite prayer. It's not safe prayers. It's not formal prayers. It's not memorized prayers. This is honest prayers. Sometimes when it's so real on the inside of you and it's so chaotic on the inside of you, the best thing that you can do is to throw things, to throw it on the Lord, but maybe not in the way that was your upbringing. And I don't know where you come from or, or, or what your religious background was. It's sometimes we, we've been taught that our faith, our relationship with God is so formal that it has to be polite, that it so, must be so safe and, and have so much reservation in it that we aren't real with God. And so I just want to take you into a place where Peter, he didn't originate this idea. Peter actually borrowed this idea that we read in the New Testament. He borrowed it from an Old Testament verse. He borrowed it from King David. And you know David. 
You know David's story. The man after God's own heart. Now, I want to show you what David did. David, he chose to write out his prayers. He chose to journal out his prayers. And we find a lot of them, if you've read Psalms, a lot of times this is what shows up. And so I, I just want to quickly read you, and it's a little bit like this. It's one of David's prayers. And I want you to keep in mind who David is, who the Lord said David is. He's the king of the land, and he's the man after God's own heart. And I want you to see how honest and how vulnerable he was with God in this moment, how raw he is. So let's read together, and this is Psalm 55. This is 12 through 23, okay? So here's what he says. If an enemy were insulting me, not my friend, if an enemy were insulting me, I can endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. I expect those things to come from my enemies. But it is you, he says, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. We could lean into it and say, even my spouse. It is you with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. They worshiped together. They went to church together. They sat next to each other. Everybody looked at them and was like, oh, look at them, right? And so David, in this moment, he's talking about this friend. I can't believe what they've done. I can't believe how you've betrayed me. Look what he continues to say right here. He says, we sat together. We walked among the worshipers. Man, this is strong right here. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging amongst them. Can I translate this into English for you? Can we not be churchy and let me just say what he's really saying? He says, you know what? You can go to hell. He says, to hell with you. This is, this is David. Who's David talking to in this moment? He's talking to the Lord. Who's he talking about? He's talking about one of God's creation. I didn't make this up. Look at what David says to him. He says, let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. And he tells them where they can go. And David, in this moment, can you talk to God like that? You, that's not polite. That's not safe. Can, David, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're talking to in this moment? But I, I want you to imagine, okay? I, you know who David was, and I want you to imagine the alternative, because this is sometimes what happens to us, because we believe that it has to be polite, and we have to, we have to be safe. And I get the idea of reverence with the Lord, and don't misunderstand me here. But sometimes... We don't say the things that is sitting inside of us, and we leave it inside of us. And I want you to think about who David was. He wasn't some scrawny little kid. It wasn't just the guy who defeated the giant, right? This is the guy who had killed bears. This is the guy who had killed lions. And he knew this rage and this potential on the inside of him. And he says, you know what? If I'm not real in this moment, if I don't take it to God, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be heads that are chopped off around here. This is the thing when Saul is in pursuit of David, and he chooses humility in that moment. Do you know why he was able to choose humility? Because he understood. He had found the secret. He had leaned into a principle. He understood that I could cast my cares on God. And so he was choosing 
Before I let it spew out and I take it to somebody else, I know it's raw. I know it sounds like maybe there's not, but David loved the Lord. He was the man after God's own heart. But in this moment, he's being real with God. Not polite, not safe. He's being vulnerable and he's being transparent and he's being authentic. And so sometimes when we go through this, let's keep reading. He says, in verse 16, he says, for as for me, I call to the Lord. And so he's kind of having this transition. See where his hope is. He's not being disrespectful to the Lord. See where his hope is. He says, I call to God and the Lord saved me. He says, I get so frustrated that it's not just praying while I'm putting my makeup on. It's not just praying while I'm getting my tie fixed in the morning. He says, man, this is consuming me so much that every evening, every morning, every noon, I have to cry out to God. I've got to let it all out. I've got to let it spew. I've got to take it to the Lord. And in distress, he hears my voice and he rescues me unharmed from the battle that has been raging against me. I've had some disappointments. I've had some hurts. I had some things I hoped was going to come to pass in my life, and they aren't going that way. There's this battle around me, and now I'm going to take it to the Lord. And he says, in verse 19, he says, God who is enthroned from old, of old, who does not change, he will hear them and he will humble them because they have no fear of the God. And then he says, my companion attacks his friends. My companion violates his covenant. He had made promises to me. She had made promises to me. We stood at an altar. I thought we were on the same page. I thought we shared the same dreams. I thought this was going in the same direction. But my companion, the one that was supposed to be there alongside me, has broken promises and violated covenant. And David has experienced it too. He says his talk is smooth as butter. Yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. He says, listen, he's got you guys snowed. He's got you schooled. You think you know him. You think you know her. At church, it looks all pretty. That relationship looks all pretty. But let me tell you what happens behind closed doors. In church, it's all talk. They can talk smooth, and it looks good. But when we get home, let me tell you the person that I'm really married to. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. There's wounds that are flying around inside of me. And so David knew this experience, and what do we do? What did he do? How did he handle it? Let's keep reading together. David comes around and he recenters his idea and he, and he comes back around to God, his creator who loves him. He says this, and this is where Paul or Peter borrowed it from. In verse 22, he says, cast your cares. Say that with me. Cast your cares. Sometimes you have to throw things. He says to cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let you down. We sang that this morning. He's never going to let me down. He's never going to let the righteous be shaken to the point. He hasn't forgotten about you. You may think that your hopes, dreams, and desires are not going to come to pass, but when you choose to do it God's way and you honor God in the way that he's asked you to do, then the favor and the grace of God sits on you and in your relationships and in your life. And God will not forget you. He will never let the righteous be shaken, and he will sustain you. And so David, he knew what to do in this moment. He felt it all on the inside of him. And he says, I'm just going to throw these things on God. I know what I feel in my heart in this moment, but I'm going to take it to God. I'm going to take it to him before them. And so David was not polite. He was not safe. And he was not honest. 
Oh, I'm sorry. And he was honest. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are paying attention this morning. So there's these places, right? And, and, I, and I know you felt what David felt. I know in some relationship at some point in time, and I, and I hope it's not in your marriage, but I know that you felt like David and you just wanted to unleash hell on some people before. It might have been in traffic. It might have been a simple thing like that. And they finally, I'm, learn how to drive, right? Yeah. right? And then it, it might have been in the roommate. It might have been a roommate who stabs you in the back. It might have been the boss. You were supposed to get to promotion, and, and they just let you down in this moment. But it might have been a husband. It might have been a spouse, and you felt something inside of you. And You know where you can go? And you feel it on the inside of you, and that tension exists in that moment. But, but have you ever did what David did? Have you ever prayed where it wasn't just something polite or something memorized or something formal, where it was a little bit unsafe and honest? Have you ever done that before? And, and, and I, I get this. Now, this, this, may be, this may be a real challenge for you. Again, either your religious background, and I don't, I don't know where you came from, or it may be a challenge for you depending on your upbringing. And so maybe this is hard for you because in your relationship with your parents, anytime you were trying to express yourself and, and maybe it came out the wrong way, what did they do? You're not going to talk to me like that. And maybe you were shut down in that moment. Like, this would make that hard for you. In fact, let me, just, let me just make this personal for a minute, okay? I've been wrestling with this stuff right here and, and some of the ways that, you know, I've responded with my children. And many of you know I'm a father of four children, and they're young, and, and, and nine and seven. And now they're getting at this point where they're, they're trying to figure out how to process all of this emotion and this stuff that's going on in the inside of them. And sometimes... What comes out of their mouth, it is not polite. It is not safe. In fact, they put their behinds at risk. Sometimes it's, it's not that way. And sometimes, and I, I wish that I had not responded that way, but even, even this past 10 days, okay, as I was thinking about this, and this is all stirring around on the inside of me, my son, he, he let some stuff just fly out of, out of him, and he's learning right here. I mean, it doesn't excuse it not being reverent or honor, and I'm, I'm not saying that, but he lets some stuff just, and I found myself in that moment, boy, get over here, talking through your teeth, you know, spit coming out, like, I can't, you know, look at me in the eyes. You do not talk to me that way. And I, I, I don't want to respond to my child that way, but come on, if you're parents, you understand this. Sometimes this is, this is that tension and that, why? I mean, it comes from a place of, I, I want honor and I want respect, and he's not going to talk to me that way. But I'm telling you, the last time that this happened, something inside of me just kind of like the Holy Spirit roaming around and put his finger on something, and he says, do you know who you are? As a father, do you know who you are? You're to teach your children what a relationship with me looks like. As your father in heaven, it is your responsibility, particularly, listen to me, men. It is your responsibility as a father. You are the closest thing they will ever see, this earthly relationship, what it should be like with a heavenly father. And in that moment, I'm like, oh, I'm knocked back. This is going to change 
the way that I parent and the way I deal with something. And maybe this isn't for you. My, listen, my kids are young. I'm, this is an experiment. Maybe you want to circle back to me in 20 years and say, hey, Pastor Daniel, how did it go? My kids are young. But I'll tell you, this is going to forever change the way that I parent my children. And so, yes, I expect honor in the relationship. I expect respect. But you know what was happening when my son was letting it all go? He was just being honest. You know what I did with my words? I shut down that piece of him. Do you know what God invites from us? And so, you know what I will do differently? It comes flying out of his mouth. I'm just going to absorb it. If I can take it, I'm just going to absorb it and just let it go, let it go. And when the end of the rant, whenever it comes, is misguided and misdirected and, and, and a wrong perspective as he may have in that moment, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring him. And I'm going to look him right in the eyes, and I'm going to say to him, thank you for being honest with me and sharing what's in your heart. Now let's talk about those things. I'm telling you, it's an experiment for me, but it will, it, you, you can't talk to my wife. Don't talk to your mama that way. But you bring it, bring it to me that way. I, I can handle it. Why? And here's my conviction. Again, my relationship with him is the closest thing that he has to the picture of his relationship with his heavenly father or my daughter or my children, your children. It's the closest thing. Men, this role that you stand in, it's the closest picture that they'll have. And if you grew up and you had a broken father relationship, you understand how that distorts your reality and picture of God. You get it. And so my conviction is that I would rather him come and unload it on me than to push it down on the inside of him and then go out there somewhere else and it just starts oozing out that one day he grows into a man and he stands at an altar and marries a woman and then he takes all of this stuff inside of the relationship and it comes out in other ways. Why? Because I never gave him an outlet to do it. Your relationship with your heavenly father is no different. When you have unmet expectations, when your hopes, dreams, and desires feel like a long shot, long forgotten, when there's wounds on the inside of you, when there's frustration, when there's pain, when there's things inside of you, and you feel like because either your upbringing or the way that you've just learned to just shut it down in here, when you feel like that's where you are, look at me, your heavenly father he would look into the eyes of your heart, and he would say to you, I'm big enough. I can take it. Bring it on. You need to throw stuff? It's okay. You can throw stuff at me. And he comes alongside you, and in that moment, in the grace of God, in the favor of God, because you've chosen to humble yourself through prayer, comes alongside you in that moment, and he gives you a grace that is sufficient for the place that you're at in that moment. And then and only then do you start to feel the victory that only God can bring. And I get it, guys. I, I, I get what it feels like and, and, and to feel like it's still coming up short. 
at the stage of life or where you are, what you dreamed, what you thought it was going to be. But the invitation from the Lord is one of humility. And when we would position ourselves that way, when we would bring ourselves to that place, God invites us to just unload on him. We're going to direct it somewhere. It's going to come out. And God says, throw these things at me. Let's, let's read here as we get ready to close, okay? Here's what he says. He says, cast all of your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And this seems like the churchy cliche of response. But this is a fundamental truth of your theology and your belief and your view of God. That he loves you and he cares for you. That he is for you and not against you. Cast your cares, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. If it is important to you, if these things are important to you, then it's important to your heavenly Father as well. Because if it is important to you, it's important to God as well. And so let's close together. We, we, we all have a box. We all have slightly different things on the inside of them, whether tangible or intangible. We all have that box. We all have that hurt. We all have that disappointment. We all have the thing that we long for. But if we will bring ourselves to giving our box to God, and we'll trust him with the results of it. If we'll cast our cares on him, then there are promises that come alongside it. We would be under his protection, his shelter, and that he would lift us up in due time, that he has not forgotten or forsaken us. He will not leave you. And he sees these because they're important to you. They're important to him. But let me give you a final warning of what happens. When you do this, and you choose the path of humility, and you take these things to God, something will likely happen. The thing that happens will more often be in you while you are looking for it to be in them. It'll be something that God does inside of you. And maybe, just maybe, you begin to see the things in your box a little bit differently. You see how they were never qualified or gifted or designed by God to actually meet some of those hopes, dreams, and desires. Maybe you let them off the hook a little bit. Maybe it does bring you to a place where now in humility you can have real conversations. We've been encouraging that here throughout this series. Have real conversations about what is inside of your box. But maybe, just maybe, if you would cast them on the Lord, if you would in humility take them to God, not in a safe way, not in a polite way, but a real and authentic way, then the favor of God, the grace of God shows up in that moment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are for us. We thank you, God, that the things that we care about, you care about. Thank you, God, that you are not so distant that you don't know the longings in our heart. And if we're just real with you and we're truthful with you, sometimes it feels like we have to make our own way in this world and in this life. And if I let go of the end of the rope, then it just feels like my stuff will just be set aside or forgotten about. But when we look at your word, you make promises to us. And you've never let us down. You've never forsaken us. And you won't start now. 
And so inside of our relationship, God, we're making some conscious choices. Whether these are peer-to-peer, colleague, mother-father, whether this is the husband and wife relationship. Lord, we choose to submit to one another. We choose to put the other person's desires ahead of our own. We choose to believe, God, that if we would do that, that we would be honoring you, that it would be an act of worship. God, sometimes we do have to throw things, but we bring those to you. We throw them on you. Thank you that you are strong enough, that you are big enough, that you just absorb it and you just take it and you look us in the eye of our hearts and you invite that from us. God, help us to be so bold, to be so brave that we would live authentic and vulnerable before you. God, that we would take it to you before we take it out on them. Father, I want to pray over the marriages and the relationships in this room. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the bonds between husband and wife. I pray, God, that they would make you the center of that relationship and that they would revolve around you. And as long as you are at the center of it, then they are underneath your umbrella of authority and protection. God, teach them mutual submission. Teach them how to see into their spouse's heart. God, any wounds that might exist, teach them how to talk about it. And God, that the options that we looked at would be to come to you, to bring it to you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. In this same moment, in this same environment, just with every head bowed and eyes closed still, let me, let me just talk to you. Today we've talked a lot about the idea of submission. In this series, we've talked a lot about that. I don't ever want to have a Sunday experience where you come in and maybe you're like, you know what, you're talking about marriage, but I just came into this place just desperate to hear something from God. Well, just hear from me for a moment, okay? The Lord cares deeply for you. He cares about the things that you care about. And so if you've come into this place and you feel a little bit busted up or a little bit broken in your heart, that is the greatest place for you to find God, to find Jesus. And maybe one point in time you did serve him. Maybe you've never served him. Maybe it was a long time ago. God says to us that when we come with humility in our hearts and we say, you know what, God, I do need you. I've tried it my own way. I've tried to fight my own battles, but that hasn't worked out for me. I need you. The Bible tells us that if we would confess with our mouths and we would believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we would be saved. There's no magic formula to that. In your own ways and in a real vulnerable way, you would tell the Lord, God, I need you. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I need you. And if you're here in this place and and, and you've come into the house and you are a believer, but you've come in and you feel like, man, there's just this weight, there's this burden, there's this heaviness in my life, and I've come in today and and marriage really isn't the deal, that's not really what I need. I need a touch from God. Then in just a few moments, we're going to dismiss this service. And those, many people will go into the lobby and they'll begin fellowship or have coffee or desserts. I would invite you to hang around, in fact, to come forward for prayer. Allow one of us, allow our elders, our leaders of the church to come and agree with you in prayer for whatever need that you might have. We love you guys. We are for you and we are for your marriage. God is for you and he is for your marriage. And I hope this has challenged you. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Next week, 
right here in this room. We're going to conclude this series. Don't miss next week, okay? Love you guys. Let's have an amazing week. Let's go in the favor of the Lord.